morning, we are finishing up our series on guardrails, and I'm so excited about it, and I I really have wanted to do this series for a long time and was debating whether it's going to be a small group or we're going to do it in actual service, and I just really felt like it was something really integral to our growth as a church to do here. So we see our logo, and we know what a guardrail is. We've seen them on the side of the road, and, and we're just going through, we're going to have a short review that our scriptures are coming from John 10, 10. And Jesus is saying here, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I, Jesus, have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And if there's one thing that I could say really encompasses our church and where we want to go and what our goals and our plans are for everyone, it is that, that you have life to the full. You live the fullest life. We don't just exist. We don't just try and make it from day to day and just merely be here taking up space, but we want to live life to the full. Of course, our theme verse is in Ephesians 5, verse 15. So be careful how you live. And I think God's really concerned with how we live. It isn't just that we're here and he just populates the earth and then he has something else that he's doing over here. He's watching gun smoke. No, he's really interested in our lives. He says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools but like those who are wise. And right here we see a contrast between the two, the same way we just saw in the past scripture, that there's life or there's death. There is someone who's trying to steal, kill, and destroy, or someone who's coming to give you life to the full. What's going to keep you from hitting either of those things? What's going to separate them? And I believe guardrails is one of those things. He continues on, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly. But understand what the Lord wants you to do. And I think that scripture just really gets me every single time I read it. Don't act thoughtlessly. We've got to have intentionality. We've got to put everything to a purpose. Understanding what the Lord wants us to do. And that's the purpose of us bringing this whole series here. Now, of course, we know that a guardrail, we've looked at this the last several weeks, its definition, if you ever wanted to know it, is a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limits areas. A system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. They're usually found in bridges, medians, or curves. And they're there to guide us and to protect us. So think about you going around a curve and you see the guardrail. It's making that same curve. You kind of can see what's going on. It's just a mental thing. But it's also there to protect you from the cars that might come across the median or maybe protect you from going across the median to the other cars. It's there to guide us and protect us. And we also saw that the guardrails are always placed in the safety zone. It's always in a place where it's not really the bad place yet, but it's there to really get our attention. They're designed to minimize damage. One of the great things that we looked at was the saying that our greatest regrets would have or could have been avoided if we'd have had guardrails in our lives. As we look back, we all have those things in our life that we look back and go, man, I wish... I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I could go back and change that. I wish I hadn't been there. I wish it's the, the wrong time, the right, wrong place. And those kinds of things we look back in. As you look back at it, there was something that was going, hey, you shouldn't do this. Hey, that might not be a bad idea. I mean, a good idea. Or maybe it's a parent or a, a family member or someone's like, no, you really shouldn't be out after midnight. Nothing good happens after midnight. I mean, those things, there's so, so many things that come at us that we look at and we look back and say, man, why didn't I listen to that? So we understand that in guardrails in place, we can avoid future regrets as well. 
Guardrails are a standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. And that's where we really transition from it being just something for cars and vehicles and roadways into how it affects our lives. A standard of behavior, how I act, don't act thoughtlessly, becomes a matter of conscience. But I want to remind you as well that it's a personal law. It's something you personally are applying in your own life. You're personally going out there and nailing those stakes in and saying, okay, this is where I want to live. I don't want to cross over this. So if I, if I start getting close to this, I want it to wake me up. We were driving on a trip this week and someone was driving in the car and they hit those and I was asleep and I sat straight up because those things are going and you know, it didn't hurt our car, but it woke me up. Well, that's what the guardrails, that's what these things are supposed to do. They're supposed to light us up when we start nearing danger. And it's something I establish for myself. It should be going, danger, danger, danger. You shouldn't be over here. You should think about how you're doing this. We all know that uneasy feeling when we're in trouble. When we're going over the cliff, and we're seeing the ground rapidly approaching us. We all know that uneasy feeling. A guardrail is there to make me have that uneasy feeling early. Where it's like, wake up. No, hold on. We also looked at that our culture does not celebrate or encourage guardrails. They don't really like that. They don't like hard, fast rules. And you may be ridiculed for putting some things in your life to say, no, I'm not going to do that. Or no, I choose to do this instead. Culture instead celebrates and promotes painted lines. And they say, you can paint your lines wherever you want to. And your line can be over here. And your line can be over there. Whatever you feel like doing, just do it. So if you want to drive on the wrong side of the road, then that's right for you. And we see all of these things. And that is especially true And the topic for this week, we've looked at in the past, hitting the mark. We looked at the bowling alley analogy. And so you've got the gutter on either side and you've got the the pins down there and you're trying to hit the mark. You try, we looked at that and then we looked at the the battle in our mind and how the enemy's going to come in with our thought lines and we have to put guardrails up to protect us from that. We're looking at relational guardrails and professional guardrails. But this week we're looking at the guardrail as where it comes with relationships. Specifically, we're looking at how it affects us with friends with benefits, moral guidelines, guarding your marriage, guarding yourself for marriage, guarding yourself from married people. Guarding yourself is your most important relationship. My wife and I have a great relationship, and that is the most valuable relationship in my life. I have to guard that. I have to put protections around that. Nowhere in culture... Does it do a better job at baiting us towards the edge of disaster and then chastising us and shaming us when we step over certain lines than when it comes to this area? I'll say that again. Nowhere does culture do a better job of baiting us. Hey, come on over to this line. Come on over. Come on over. Hey, it's not a big deal. Come on over here. And then when you make a mistake and you step over that line, they're the first ones to chastise you and shame you. When it comes to moral boundaries or being faithful in a marriage or even before marriage, the ridicule that comes against you, oh, you're just a prude. You're one of those people. But the reality is the culture that we live in, we are all complicit in one area or another. We entertain ourselves with media, 
movies, and music that glorifies sex outside of marriage and glorifies affairs. There was actually a website several years ago for helping people have affairs. They give you fake receipts for different places. They help you do all this stuff. And it's just unbelievable the things that are in our lives. But even the books that many people read or, or the lyrics of the songs I hear when I'm driving people at night, it's like, oh my gosh, what? Oh, Jesus, help us. I mean, for real. You know, Lenore and I'll be driving and a song will come on in a store or something and we just look at each other and then our kids are knowing the words that are singing along with them. We're like, how do you know the words to these songs? And they're like, they're everywhere. And aren't they? They're everywhere. You can be sitting at a red light and this guy pulls up next to you, guy or girl, doesn't really matter. And they've got the music blaring and it's just got so much obscene language and some things are just coming out. It's like, oh my gosh, it's a different world. It's all around us. It's inundating us. But then what happens? Someone we know has an affair. Actually steps across the line and has an affair. And we're mortified. How could you actually do that? I can't believe you did that. We entertain it ourselves with it. Then freak out when someone actually does it. Let me repeat. Nowhere does culture do a better job of baiting us to the edge, the brink of destruction, than shaming us when we step over those lines. But just imagine if we got this one thing right, not necessarily even in the church, the church would be great, but if we as a community could get this one thing right when it comes to sex and how we deal with life and look at all this stuff, or or we as a a city, or we as a, a region of Dallas, Fort Worth, or we as the state of Texas, or a country, if we could get this all right, think about the changes that would happen in our culture. If we could actually shape culture one of us at a time, what would happen? There'd be less poverty. There'd be less domestic violence. There'd be fewer unwanted pregnancies. There'd be fewer kids in the foster care system. There'd be fewer little boys and little girls who grew up in a home without a mom or a dad. What a change we could make. And we're not even talking about Jesus. We're not even talking about church. We're not talking about anything. We're just talking about practical things that are here. And yet we've got so turned around. But wouldn't it be amazing if we got this right? So if you were God and you created this earth and you populated with people and you give them this thing, you want them to live life to the full, how would you help them live? What would you do? Would you write a book or have somebody write a book to kind of give you some guidelines and kind of inspire you what to do? Think about this. God The God, the creator of the whole entire universe, invites you to relate to him as what? He invites us, you and me, to relate to him as what? As our heavenly father. He wants to have that father-child relationship with us. Now think about every human father. When their daughters start to date... They remember they used to be that little boy. They remember their past regrets, and they want a better life for their children. So when that boy comes over, they're polishing their shotgun, they're cleaning their shotgun, and they're like, son, we need to talk. You know, they're, they're ha- why? Because they know the potential for train wrecks. They want something different to happen in the life of their children, 
And yet God wants to relate to us as a heavenly father. He's like, I don't want you to make mistakes. Not because I want you to be perfect. Not because I'm a prude. But because I want to have a better life for you. I've learned some things. But let's be honest. Isn't this what every wife wishes her husband would have done? Isn't this what every husband wishes his wife had done? When my wife and I do premarital counseling, I love it. It's one of my favorite parts of this job is doing premarital counseling. Second is actual counseling and helping people. It's so funny to see one on one side of the couch and one on the other side at the beginning and then, you know, in the end, you know, lovey-dovey. And, and I love to see God work. But when we're doing the premarital counseling, I've never had a situation when we got to the part of talking about sex we've never had them say man i wish i'd had sex with more people she goes man i wish you would have too and him saying oh man if you just slept on a whole lot more it would have been better no the exact opposite thing happens when we're there in that private intimate thing no matter what they think and how great they thought they were and how much of a you know social status they had when it comes to that moment that's one of their greatest regrets Tears flow. Thank God for Jesus. And when it comes to the area of greatest regrets, the things that we really wish we could go back and change, one of the most sad ones are dealing with sexual relationships. So the Apostle Paul had planted a bunch of churches like we planted this church. So he went to this city and he planted a church. He went to the next city and planted one. And he went over here and he spends time just teaching them. And he's like, man, I hope they really get it what I'm saying. But I'm going to write them some letters so that they'll be able to remember what I'm saying. I don't want it just to be when I said that one service. Because what if they weren't there that one day? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send them. I'm just going to write them these letters. And then we put them into the Bible. And that's what we see. So in Corinthians... Paul is writing to the little church that he started in Corinth. He wrote them two letters, and that's how we see them. So if you're new to church or you're watching us online and you don't really know what all this is about, it, it, that's just really the simplicity of it. But the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, is giving some instructions from God, saying, hey, this is how I want you to live. He wrote this to further emphasize what he'd already told them. In 1 Corinthians 6, Verse 18, he says, flee from sexual immorality. And everybody goes now, oh gosh, I don't want to hear this. This is not the message I really wanted to come here for. Why don't you tell me something happy, happy, happy that I'm going to like? But let's be honest. If you're going to push back, just give me a second with it. Think about this. Isn't this really what every husband wants his wife to do? To flee sexual immorality? Isn't this what every wife also wants her husband to do? Isn't this what every fiancé wants his or her future mate to do? Isn't this what every big brother wants his little sister to do? Isn't this what everyone who loves someone and cares for them wants? Isn't this what they really, really want when they say, man, I don't want you to get caught up in the trappings that are going to be here. But we're in a culture and in a world where that's not popular. And it's saying we're going to flee from, we actually live in a culture where it actually is we're going to flirt with. Instead of flee from, we flirt with. So we become hypocrites. We bait ourselves and allow ourselves to come near that brink of disaster 
through what we do, what we allow to come in. And then when we strip and when we step over that line, we feel shame. Other people step off that line and then we judge them or we condemn them. So the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul wrote to give us life to the full. Remember Jesus says, I've come, not that you just exist, but that you have life to the full, that you live it to the max. That's what he's doing. The Apostle Paul isn't being a prude here and saying, oh man, us Christians, man, we're really against sex. We hate sex. You know, and God hates sex. No, that's a misconception. God doesn't hate sex. He created sex. Andy Stanley says this joke or this analogy. He goes, I think God was up in heaven because we believe that there was a time there wasn't sex and God created it. And Andy Stanley says, God's up there saying, oh, I've got a really good idea. And the angel said, what is it, God? And he goes, oh, you won't understand, but you're going to be jealous. I mean, it, God created this and we're the only one who gets the benefits of it. Christians aren't against sex. We just believe that God created us with this extraordinary gift that he gave us, but he gave it to us with guidelines how we should live. That's why we're talking about in church. It's not fun. It's not pleasure for me to sit here. In fact, I had a little bit of anticipation this week thinking about it and building my notes up and everything, talking to some people. I'm like, eh, I'm not really sure about this, but this is God's plan. You know, I look in me just for a second. I, I love fireplaces. It's a deal breaker when we're getting a house. Even when we lived in Florida, when it never got cold, turn the air down to like 50, as low as it would go. And sometimes it'd have the frost shooting out the, the air ducts and everything. And, you know, then we'll turn the fire on because I just love the fire and watching, you know, cuddle up behind it, you know, and put my back up against it. If you've got a fireplace at your house and I come visit you, I'm setting at the fireplace. You know where to find me. I love fires. But you know that fire in the fireplace is perfect. It's wonderful. But fire outside that fireplace will burn your house down fire is not the problem same way here the amazing thing is paul had this amazing insight two thousand years ago before smartphones before the internet before all of this crazy stuff that's readily available to us that will flirt with disaster and fall over the abyss he says flee from sexual immorality And then he says, all other sins. He's showing us that sexual sin is in a category all its own. I want you to think about that. It's in a category all its own. It is uniquely damaging. See, all the other guardrails that we've discussed up to now, you can recover. It's possible to recover financially. It's possible to recover academically. It's possible to recover relationally. When it comes to sexual sin, you can be forgiven. Absolutely. Not a question. God's love, God's forgiveness, it covers over every single thing. But recovering, that's difficult. It's extremely difficult. We have a husband and a wife sitting in our office and one's been unfaithful and maybe the other one went to be unfaithful just to get back at them. And, and, and yeah, there's a, there, there's a path for them to bring unity back and to get back. But man, it's tough. But to fully escape the consequences? Never. Once the damage is done, it's done. But in case you're still pushing back on this and you're like, I don't really agree with all this. You know, I think I should just be able to do whatever I want. If we look at this and we're honest with ourselves, 
Another unique thing about this is sexual sin will make you a liar and a secret keeper for the rest of your life. It'll make you a secret, a liar and a secret keeper for the rest of your life. Some of the most broken-hearted people are those who get married and their husband or wife told them part of their sexual history. And in telling part, they relieved their conscience and didn't tell the whole story. Then they stood at an altar declaring publicly that you are the only one for me and the most important one in my life. But also stood there keeping secrets because they're scared. You wouldn't marry me if you knew. Remember, I talked about our greatest regrets. They can be avoided. God's forgiveness is more than enough. Hear me. For every sin, including sexual sin, that's not Even the focus of this, it's amazing. And he's there. We're happy to pray with anybody and even go through the counseling that's needed to go along with that. But the consequences in our life from bad decisions in this area is a different story. That's why the Apostle Paul is trying to help us to avoid it. Not rob from us. Remember, the enemy's coming to rob, kill, and destroy. But isn't it messed up that culture actually has people believing that by doing it God's way, you're robbing yourself of all these experiences with all these other people? When it's the exact opposite. Things that happen sexually have the potential to mess you up more than anything else. Because what happens to you and hurts inside of you is of the foremost concern to God. So I want you to think about that. There's this person here. And some things happen to them sexually. And and they feel the shame. They feel the, they've lost their purity. They've lost the situation. God's so concerned with them. But then there's also the other person over here that they were involved with. Who God also loves who also God is concerned with. And that's one of the reasons it's most concerning to God because it's not just a sin between one person. It's affecting so many other people. And your involvement causing hurt in someone else makes this such a big deal to God. See, it's way more than biology or physiology. Physiology. God loves and cares so much for people that he loves you. He loves them. Every person you interact with. But can I circle back to that premarital counseling time? The tears surrounding the couples about to get married. Their greatest regrets are not from credit problems or past financial decisions. They are devastated at the thought of what they're bringing in. And thank God for Jesus. Thank you that we can pray with them and break the, the um, soul ties and we can see God do some amazing things and then the tears turn into happy tears. It's just an amazing thing. But why not avoid the pitfalls that are there? The same scripture we're looking at in the NLT, Apostle Paul says this. He goes, run from sexual sin. For no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. 
Verse 19, don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. Pause. Look at this. This says this is your body that's given to the Holy Spirit. So this is applying to Christians. So if you're not a Christian, if you're watching this online, you're like, well, that, I, you know, I'm not sure about all this. Well, this isn't really talking to you. But the wisdom is still there. It's true. But Christians, if you're going to name the name of God on yourself, he says, God has put the Holy Spirit, when you accepted Jesus into your life, God has put that inside of you. It was given to you by God to the point you don't belong to yourself. Continues, for God bought you with such a high price. He paid for you with Jesus. He paid for your sins With his son. Such a high price. So you must honor God. With your body. But what does this mean to you? You know I could give you my guardrails. I could give you my beliefs. I could give you my rules. I could give you a whole list. And maybe you could put them up on your mirror. Or carry them around with you. And put them up in your dashboard. In your car. And everywhere you go. I mean you put them on a t-shirt. Wherever you go. But that's not really going to help you. Let's be honest. That's not going to change your life. What I think. The only thing that's going to change your life. Is when you find this from God himself. The truth is, you have to search it out. When you're reading the 21, uh, when you're reading the one-year Bible, and when we're doing the 21 days of prayer, when we're doing the growth track, when we're doing small groups, when we're doing all these things, God is showing you things and revealing things to you, and you're like, oh, oh, ah. That's what it's about. But before you think I'm crazy, which I am, a little bit, I think we all are, look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Apostle Paul to another church that he's planted. He's writing this to them. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work. You're on this path. You've got to keep working this out. This isn't just a one-time thing. You're not just going to the gym one time and everything's done. You go to the gym every day. You work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You work it out. You keep going. And the next verse says, For it is God, it is God who works in you to will and to act. It's God who's doing this work inside of you. And what is your will? Where you want to go? What decisions you're making? What your future is? What your thoughts for your future are? And what your actions are? What you're doing? Your actions and your will go hand in hand. It is God who's doing this in you. Why? In order to fulfill his good purpose. What is his good purpose? That you live life to the full. That you have all that he has for you. You don't leave anything there. You don't just exist, but you live life to the full. It is God's good pleasure he's doing for you. We've been looking at guardrails this whole month. And maybe you're experiencing it's a new year and it's a new season. And you're, you're realizing some things. And, and part of this working out your salvation, you're realizing some things that used to be okay aren't okay anymore. Maybe they're still okay for your friends, but they're not okay for you anymore. 
That's a guardrail. That's God saying, hey, you don't need to go that close to the edge. You don't need to flirt with danger or disaster. I want you to live this way where you live life to the full. You have a great, happy life, but you're not going to end up in the ditch. It's not bondage. Bondage comes when somebody else is trying to put on you, tell you what to do, tell you to do something you don't feel from God. It's just somebody else telling you to do it. Guardrails are when you feel a conviction from God on how to live your life and you simply obey him. My prayer for you is this, that you know God. Number one, first and foremost, you know God. So if you don't know God today, that's the first step. But once you know God, part of this continuing to work out your own salvation is you come to know his ways. That's how we get it from reading the one-year Bible, from going to small groups, for going to this thing, going to growth track, going to all that. You find out who he is and what he You hear messages like this. It challenges you. Then you know what he, what he, what he, God wants for you. How does he want you to order your life? How do you choose to walk in it? Ken, Jeremiah 29, 11. I love this. God says, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not disaster. Isn't this what we're talking about? Guardrails keep us from going off in this disaster into this abyss. He goes, man, I want you to live in the good. I want you to have life to the full. And I want to give you a future and a hope. Come back to what we started off with. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus wants to give us life to the full. So be careful how you live. Don't just live like fools, but like those who are wise. Don't act thoughtlessly. But understand what the Lord wants you to do. If you bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Don't act thoughtlessly. Don't just let whatever feels good do it. Define you. Don't let just what everybody else says. Don't let everybody else's viewpoint and understanding of sex be what defines you. And then you end up with regrets. Let God show you how to live. Be careful how you live. So I said my number one prayer for you is that you know God. Wherever you're at this morning, whether you're in this room or you're watching online or you're listening to the podcast later, I don't know where you're at with God. You may have never accepted him. You may be still just checking this all out. You might say, today's my day. I'm ready. Or you might say, if I'm honest, I'm pretty far from God. I once knew him, but mm, not anymore. I've listened to the world. If today's your day to come to God or to renew your commitment, I just want to simply help you with this prayer. Then I want to pray for you. If that's you today, just pray this prayer. It's between you and God. 
It's not anything I'm going to invite you up. We're not going to embarrass anybody. Just pray this. Say, God in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. He paid for my sins so I don't have to. I ask you to forgive me for living my life without you, making decisions on my own. Jesus, please forgive me. I surrender everything to you. Be the Lord of my life. Be number one. The best way I know how, I'm going to live for you with all my heart. Today, I give you my life. Father, I pray for everyone who prayed that prayer for the first time or another time. Lord, I pray that you will just come meet them and that you will just give them that greatest welcoming of knowing that they've just entered into the greatest path of their life. Lord, I pray for all the rest of us. Lord, for everyone listening to this that is challenged by guardrails, God, in all the different areas for hitting the mark, for watching what we think and how the thoughts that come into our mind. Lord, for financial guardrails that we looked at last week and today for sexual guardrails and and relational guardrails and and where we're going to put these up and, Lord, where we're going to put these stakes in the ground and how we want to live intentionally, not thoughtlessly. God, that we spend time hearing from you how you want us to live. Lord, I realize we're all on different places on this path. And some of us will have guardrails that are closer to the road. Some of us will probably be closer to disaster than than others. But God, that we start establishing things that help us learn how to live. That those guardrails will guide us and then protect us. Father, I pray that we are all changed by your presence this morning. I give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.